and welcome back to Up Nerd. This is the second episode of Find You Pick. This is the return pick from my co-host, Abby. Abby, why die another day? Hi, I'm Abby, and I'm glad you asked. Because it is candy for the mind, and when I'm stressed out or... It was just kind of a film that like you could always toss on at some point, or if you just needed something to chill out with on a Saturday night, like just, just toss on one of the Pierce Brosnan, James Bond movies and you'll, you'll be all right. You know, you'll, everything will be fine. Everything will be great. Candy for the mind. Maybe for you, but in any case, I feel like this movie commits the cardinal sin of being boring. It is a little bit boring. Yeah. I forgot how boring most of it is. It's weird. Cause it is, it is an action packed thrill ride. Yeah, I can remember the set pieces to a certain extent, or at least remember vaguely what action takes place. I remember scenes. What I can't remember is any detail from it, though. Yeah, that's true. I remember scenes, and I had forgotten some of the really good scenes that I did like in this, and remembered, of course, some of the very, very terrible, but very memorable ones. But overall, I think it's, it's again, it's, it's bubblegum for the mind. It's, you put it on... You can just kind of tune out, have it on, and you start paying attention to the first half, and then in the second half is just an effects-fueled thrill ride extravaganza, and you just, you know, and at the end of it, you, you feel a little better than, than you did before you watched the movie, so. This is the second time you've made me watch this, might I add? Oh, probably, yeah, but this was, we, I know we've watched it once since we've, we've moved here. I don't think I made you watch it. I think I was watching it one day. Nope, you did. All right. Well, I don't remember it like that. So what I do remember, and I'm not definitely reading uh, off of Wikipedia at all, is that Die Another Day is a 2002 spy film, the 20th James Bond film. It is the fourth and final film starring Pierce Brosnan or the Bond that I grew up with. So for me, Pierce Brosnan is is kind of Bond, which kind of works out because he, he sort of made a career of being james bond type characters afterwards i think you mean beforehand might i add well before and after i'll have to do more research clearly but pierce brosnan is my is my james bond i think he fits it really really well he fits i can't imagine anybody else he's not bad he's not the issue with his movies the issue with his movies are they're very poorly plotted the action came at a time when I think we didn't know what to do with action movies. Well, it's funny you should mention that. Oh? It's interesting, right? So this is 2002. I don't know when it came out in 2002, but I, I think we all kind of agree that the, the 21st century really kind of started, like September 11th was the inciting incident that clearly defines, okay, this is this is a new century, this is a new millennium versus sort of carryover from the the 90s, right? So this would have been created, produced, shot pre-9-11 when we had the dot-com bubble burst, we had some stuff going on, but things were not quite as, as we understand them to be today. Going to a movie you were going to be entertained. You were going to eat your popcorn and look at your popcorn in a lot of ways. Doesn't mean there weren't very, very, very good and smart movies, but you know, your average, your average punter is going to be going to the movies and expecting to be entertained by what they see on the screen 
for two hours, three hours sometimes. Your and average it's really, punter? Is yeah, Sam I, Martin listen, reviewing this? No, listen, we've been watching a lot of that Hotel Inspector. Corey Bohorquez? No, we've been watching Hotel Inspector, and now I have Britishisms going on. So your average, your average, your average dude. I'm sorry, I can Americanize that for your average, your average Joe. Your average, your average dude wants to just walk into a theater, see a man that they can transpose themselves onto, and a pretty lady that they that they can also transpose themselves onto in a different way. So Bond opens with James in North Korea. He gets captured. Mm. His identity is given up, and thus he gets captured. They believe him to be a spy. There is an internal spy. There's a whole bit about that. There's this diamond mogul who came out of nowhere. Spoiler alert, he is the person that James was sent to kill originally. He constructs the Icarus program, which is a giant space laser. 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 That uses the sun's rays yeah there's a few issues here but i don't think the science checks out but i also don't think it needs to in a bond movie you expect certain things and that's more what i was getting at with regards to i'm not sure what we knew action movies would or could or should be the incorporation of cgi in this movie is appallingly bad (laughs) to be fair and we'll we'll get into it but to be fair it was a it was in its infancy it right? was. This is 20 years ago, 21 years ago now. It's not the look that I care about. I don't care that the CGI doesn't look good. There are shots in Lord of the Rings that don't look particularly good and don't hold up. My issue is more that, A, those scenes were literally tacked on, because they were, by the director who came in fairly late to the project and simply just wanted certain things in it. B, the scenes had no weight to them. It's not even the look or anything like that. It's in its infancy, and when it's poorly used, CGI doesn't enhance a scene. You don't feel anything from it. There's no weight to any of the characters. There's no gravity. It just sort of... It's just complete nothing. It's got that kind of early CGI feel to it where it's not good enough that you can suspend your disbelief it's not even early it's happened a lot and so i've been to weta workshop before and i've heard them discuss the hobbit which contained a lot of exceptionally good cgi or good looking cgi but it still sticks out like a sore thumb and that's because of the lack of weight to it the transformers movie so full disclosure for anyone who hasn't heard me before on different podcasts huge transformers fan But the Transformers movies, the live-action ones, that is, it's very hit and miss. It's mostly miss in terms of the fight scenes carry no weight. They don't feel like there's actually objects there or giant robots hitting each other. For an example of CGI that could be used well, there's Mad Max Fury Road, which was mostly practical effects, but CGI was used to enhance certain aspects of it. And the few scenes in that movie that were constructed completely from CGI, frankly, stick out like sore thumbs. James Bond, Die Another Day, the CGI sticks out like a sore thumb because it is simply just weightless compared to the stunts that are actually performed by human beings. Well, that and I think also our eyes as an audience hadn't adjusted to sort of 
accommodate for that. Again, I don't care about the look, though. That's not the problem. I, I, I get it. I get what you mean. So it's it's weird. So there's that that classic scene where after he's at in, in Gustav Graves's ice palace, his his incredible ice palace in Iceland that he, he uses to... Diamonds are involved somehow, but it, it's kind of stupid. Gustav Graves is a diamond mogul. Well, is he? Well, he oh. is. He is the original villain Bond was sent to kill in North Korea, but he reappears with a new face, new look, because of a DNA transfer. Again, not real clear on the science on that one, but yeah, uh, this because is... of a DNA transfer, he has a new face. It's and cancer with extra steps. He just sort of reappears, or he appears on the radar as a big diamond mogul. Graves <laughs> is a slightly less scummy Elon Musk. Yeah, pretty much. But, We're a little billionaire. Well, first of all, are diamonds worth that much? So there's a couple of things to get into. One is I want to talk about who the villains are in this James Bond movie, because the villains have always been very, very present, right? And traditionally, the villains were all, and I guess they still are, but they were all kind of Soviet-era, post-World War II Axis powers. The rogue right? North got, Koreans in this one. Yeah, so it, it fits into that. But immediately prior, you know, we had uh, GoldenEye was the Russians and the Soviet Union fell. We can't, we can't do that anymore. We're actually kind of friends with the Russians now. They got this new guy named Putin. He's in charge. Uh, he's going to change everything. It's going to be great. Super, super, super looking good for U.S.-Russian relations. Oh, boy. So who's left? China's not really a thing. China was still modernizing at that point, and we wanted them to modernize so that they could manufacture stuff for us at a very, very low cost. So we can't make them the bad guy or else we're going we're gonna to make them mad. So who's left? North Korea, really. We got eh, a couple of like African, South African miners and stuff like that. They're, they're kind of mentioned. They did try um, to a certain extent to not make North Korea the villain here because, again, it's yeah. a rogue faction within it. Yeah, they still didn't is, do that, according to a lot of North Korean outlets that refused to play the film. But I mean, yeah, well, first to, of all, they were probably how many North Korean outlets were going to play the film the, anyway? The bigger problem just, is the brother of the main antagonist is named Zhao. Uh, mm. After the suitcase explodes at the start, I'm severely annoyed that he didn't decide to rename himself Diamond Face. Well, the, we do get a Mr. Kill. Yes, Mr. Kill, K-I-L. excellent bodyguard who, in one scene, so to break it all down, you mentioned the Graves Ice Palace. Later on in the film, Bond and Jinx. Jinx is played by Halle so Berry. Me, hang, hang on, she is on, an American so let me Actually, no, I'm going to stop you there for a second, because I think, much like Highlander 2, you guys should go and listen to that episode after this. This plot kind of gets away from itself, and I think it would be a benefit to kind of just go over it. So you have to kind of think of this movie as split into two distinct halves. So the first half, James Bond is in North Korea. He's there to insert himself into a planned business transaction between somebody who's giving diamonds to the North Koreans in exchange for, get this, hovercrafts. Hovercrafts that can go over minefields. This will never come into play even a little bit. Even when they are talking about 
the minefields over the DMZ later on in the film, that the hovercraft's not at all mentioned again. Afterthought. You well, we do get the hovercraft the... craft chase scene. Yeah, we do, but that's in the beginning of the movie, right? Like that, it the, doesn't. It's the North it's Korea stuff something. you're describing, by the way, is essentially the first twenty minutes of the movie. It's not really yeah. a half, but anyway. Well, no, but hold on. So that's the first half of the first half, if you will. In that transaction, the North Korean general's Sony Ericsson cell phone that can show 1080p data from a central database that, no, in fact, this is not the diamond guy they were expecting. This is James Bond, who's an agent for the secret spy service of Her Majesty's MI6 Majesty Secret Service agent. He's a spy. So they capture him. And then we get the opening credits, which are incredible. Super good. Love it. Love it. Love it. We'll fight you on it. Just so we're clear, Elton John's on my side on this one, that this is the worst Bond theme. We get opening credits, and the song is Die Another Day by Madonna, who has had a storied life. We get that. She will appear a little bit later. Turns out they get James Bond back. Spoiler alert, James Bond isn't actually in any kind of trouble. He's just been in a North Korean holding cell for 14 months. It, he's grown an awesome beard and awesome. He looks like uh, Keanu Reeves in not Kill Bill. What's the one where it's, uh, he, he's a killy man and it's not The Matrix and it's not Point Break and it's not Interview with a Vampire and it's not uh, John Wick. John Wick. He looks like Keanu Reeves and John Wick. He looks amazing for a guy who was spiked with scorpion venom and then and then resuscitated and then beaten again and so on and so forth. He's now a rogue agent of MI6 because they thought that he probably talked under torture. He didn't, of course. But now he's got to escape from MI6 and he's got to go figure out who's betrayed him. This is the part of the movie that I like. When he's doing his little spy stuff, he has to go, he has to escape from the the place where MI6 is, is holding him on a, a hospital ship, I can only assume, off the coast of Hong Kong. He's got to figure out how to get a... a new suit and pair of shoes. He's got to figure out how to get money and stuff like that. He has to go to Cuba because the guy that he's looking for, one of the North Koreans, is still alive and he's got diamonds in his face because the diamonds exploded when the it was found out that he was a spy and it was a nonstop action thrill ride. That kind of stuff I like. The stuff where he has to go around doing spy stuff. He has to say the secret password in Cuba. He almost gets entrapmented <laughs> by the guy in the Hong Kong hotel. That kind of stuff is awesome. He's got to infiltrate and figure out a way to get into this island off the coast of the Caribbean science lab where the evil Zhao, who's got diamonds in his face, is going for medical treatment, probably because he has diamonds in his face. We don't really know. That stuff is cool. That's a, that's a fairly decent movie. We are introduced to Halle Berry, who is the another sort of poster figure. She's not the first black Bond girl, but I remember at the time, kind of a big deal was made out of the fact that Halle Berry was going to be the blonde, the, the blonde girl, the Bond girl. We've had the likes of Grace Jones and, and things like that, but not quite to the to being a, a, a sort of a front and center character. So it was kind of an important movie in that sense. Halle Berry does a fantastic job when we are introduced to her character, Jacinta Jones, or Jinx, which, is that her real name? I don't know. I don't know. Because when we see her another time, 
She's being introduced by another name. <gasps> Turns out she's also a spy, but for the Americans. She is a much, much better spy than James Bond. And it is very much obvious kind of right from when we meet her. So there's a there's a little meet cute Bond and Jinx are after the same thing. They don't know it yet. They spend a they spend a wonderful night together after watching for birds because he's pretending to be an ornithologist. And that's a nice little nod because originally the name James Bond came from a book authored by a man named James Bond, who is an ornithologist. I don't really have a good segue for that, but the point is they don't know their spies. They're going their separate ways to do their separate spy stuff, and then they meet at the end. And it's very, very interesting to look at the two routes that they take, the spy stuff that they do to do that. And then the movie goes off the rails. They blow up the DNA place that supposedly changes your face, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it not only changes it, your face, it will turn you into just another guy. You will just become another dude or another girl. Yes. That's how Jinx gets in. She's pretending to be a patient that is, uh, is you know, going to pay for these, these services of this yes. weird doctor, this offshore thing. They finish all that. MI6 is now cool with Bond. Bond is tasked with looking up and investigating Gustav Graves. Graves' diamonds were found at the clinic for face changing on Zhao, a.k.a. Diamond Face. Bond proceeds to find Graves at his fencing, fencing club, club which is run by Madonna. There's your cameo. Best fencing club he ever. He meets Graves' assistant, Miranda Frost. Turns out Miranda Frost works for MI6. More on her in a second. She's played by Rosalind Pike. This is her first film, which is interesting, because, I mean, she's gone on to do a ton of different things. In any case. Fantastic. Fantastic. Bond, and we're 40 minutes in before we're introduced to this essentially main character. Bond gets an invite to the Ice Palace of Graves, goes there, does some spy stuff. Jinx is also there. They meet up. Bond breaks in, finds some incriminating things. Jinx then breaks in about 20 minutes later to the same place. Bond ends up having to save Jinx after his cover is blown yet again. And turns out, oh no, Graves was the bad guy in the start, who was North he Korean. Was turned into another guy. He yes. was at the clinic and he was just another guy. Bond He's and the Jinx North Korean guy. fight. He... And Frost, who it turns out Miranda Frost was the spy, and they fight she on a plane. Him. End of movie. She betrayed him. She's the spy. Miranda She's a Frost, double, double crossing, triple threat, Rosamund Pike. Miranda Frost was. So this is the second of the Pierce Brosnan movies where there's some sort of spy that gives him up and causes him trouble. This one was terribly done in that nobody in MI6 thinks to check and see. If she went to school with or trained with the main villain. Oh my god, yeah, that's that's another thing that's worth bringing up. So anyway, watch this movie, but be aware that it is kind of two different movies. I would say that the first half is is way more like repeatedly watchable because it's it's fun. It's fun. It has stupid like little car like why do we have to have a scene on a train where they're punching? It does the movie overall does follow the formula of ten minutes of of dialogue 10 minutes of action 10 minutes of dialogue 10 minutes of action if they had cut out a lot of that 
I think this would have been a much better film. But just be aware, it is it does feel like two different movies. And as you were saying this, you, you only mentioned Miranda Frost. And I thought to myself, oh, my God, you're right. She's like the linchpin in all this. The, She's only introduced 40 minutes into the movie yes. or so. The back end of the movie is not great. And essentially everyone in it is a moron. It There's feels a bunch like of a different movie. Number one. Miranda Frost is apparently an Olympic gold medalist fencer. She won yes. by default. She won by she default. She loses every fight she's in oh, with but, a sword. But, but, Same but. with Gustav Graves, who is supposed to be roughly Olympic-level fencer. So apparently it's very easy to be an Olympic-level fencer, is my point. Next, but she didn't even win because she was a good at uh, fencer. That's yeah, the she point. still would have been silver, though. Not necessarily. So again, we don't know that. Pretty hard. It's apparently not hard at all to fence in the Olympics, which is a good lesson. Number two, Mr. Kill, who you mentioned earlier. Kill is one of Graves' bodyguards. He looks outside at one point to see James Bond beating up one of his fellow guardsmen. He then runs outside to see what's going on and presumably capture Mr. Bond. Only to decide to do nothing when Bond is kissing Frost in the parking lot as a cover that he wasn't there. That's some great work, Mr. Kill. Some good job. Which, he by looked the over way, and saw him and then decides, like, eh, nah, it can be him. By the way, Mr. Kill, K-I-L, is New Zealand Maori actor Lawrence Makoare. You were talking about Weta Workshop, the guys who did the, the effects for Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. He was in Lord of the Rings. He was in a bunch of that because, you know, everybody kind of everybody who's an actor in New Zealand at the time was. But it was talk about a wasted kind of role because he was great. You you I mean, he wasn't given a whole lot to work with, but he was great. He was fine. Not necessarily memorable, but they really could have done something with that. Like as an actor, he very professional job, very much, you know, believable in what you have him do, things like that. So. Shout Anywho. out to Mr. Kill, K-I-L. Can we talk about the fact that this movie really makes MI6 and the British look like idiots? I mentioned that, yeah, everybody in the back end is apparently a moron. But, like, specifically, it makes British intelligence look like idiots. It's pretty bad. Their plan to get rid of... So they try to blow up the... Although this is the Americans, but they try to blow up the orbital satellite... Oh, yeah. So Instead this of just is killing Graves, who's on a plane, which they could have just destroyed. So this is where it's it's two movies in a trench coat. Right. So the original stuff is like, oh, my God, they're doing this trade for hovercrafts. That's going to be important. It's not the real sort of villain doomsday thing is this big mirror in the sky that can reflect sunlight in a very concentrated spot so hard that it will melt so side note, land. it's pitched as an ability, something to grow crops year-round. You can already grow crops year-round in a bunch yeah, of places. <laughs> it's really thing. small, too. So even when it's spread out. So what happens is when it gets pared down to a smaller area, it becomes more intense and essentially becomes a heat laser. It's fantastic. But, but even when it's spread out, it's a very small area it covers. So my problem is, this is basically a useless invention. It is roughly the size of a car. No, it's much larger than that. When you well, see it spread out, it covers the entire I guess. ice area combined with Graves' lab and douses it in just sunlight to light it up as if it's day. 
but then there's it's still the other a relatively little... small area. Like at best, you're doing a couple fields with this. You would need I don't know how many satellites to actually get anything useful out of this. Yeah, and I mean, come on, when are we gonna actually let a billionaire just send a bunch of satellites up there? <sighs> come on, it's almost like it's almost like that's a terrible, terrible idea. So Gustav Graves, who is actually the North Korean guy who Bond was there to kill and stuff originally, is now just a different dude. He had all his bone marrow sucked out and replaced with other bone marrow from a white guy, apparently. And that just makes you a white guy who speaks with a, a an educated British accent, and it turns you into actually charismatic Elon Musk. And that's essentially the character that he's playing. He's uh, He's a very, you love to hate him. He does a very good job. The problem is they put him in these stupid, stupid props and sets and so on and so forth. That very dramatic turnaround when he's he's facing the North Korean general who is his father, but his father thought that his son died. But no, it's it, his son just had all his bone marrow sucked out and then unsucked it from a from a he had white a guy. And now he's a white whitening guy. procedure. He's like got a different bone structure. He's just a he's just a different dude. He went into the cloning vats and he came out and he's just a different guy. He just he just got dipped and now he's 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 good. He's all set. Totally different guy. When he does his reveal and he's got his super villain Nintendo Power Glove on and the and the the oh, Nintendo VR, yeah, the eye dorky stuff, electric suit. Oh my god, it's the funniest thing. It's the funniest thing ever. And like they had to have known, right? that this did not look cool this looks funny but maybe that you know maybe that's what the director wanted or maybe that just wasn't time or something like that it's it looks like if roger corman had made iron man alongside the fantastic four movies in the 80s or movie in the 80s he was gonna do it's not quite that bad but it is very out of place it does look very cheap comparatively the the sets and not so much the cgi but it's just, it's so weird. It looks like a kid playing James Bond. It took them six months to make the Ice Palace set, and it looks good. That was a neat idea, despite the fact Iceland is not actually cold enough to do something like that. But it was a neat idea. It was a neat set piece. There's a lot of neat ideas and some interesting set pieces. It's just nothing is pulled off very well. And again, you mentioned that it feels like separate movies. Well, that's because of what I mentioned before. It kind of was. There were some disparate ideas that were incorporated into it, most of which happened fairly late in the production. And it feels like nobody was happy with the outcome. The director sort of took the brunt of the blame for some of the scenes that stick out. Piers Brosnan wasn't incredibly happy with the tone and the direction it took. And really, the franchise itself would sort of course correct after four years off. Which brings me to a couple of great points. One, every character is the same character in this. In the second half of the movie, everybody is the same. They're all quippy. They're all they're all like super cool. It's all very cookie cutter and it's all very perfect. You know, everybody's got a perfect line for what they just say. You know, it's ah stick around or something you know yeah people complain about the marvel movies for having that formula or joss whedon was very guilty sorry he who should not be named is very guilty 
of that in a lot of his productions where essentially you could take the dialogue of one character, move it to any other character, and it still works. But this is one of the more extreme examples of that. Everybody's very similar. And it's weird because they very much start with Halle Berry's character, Jinx, who's a spy for the US, USA, and James Bond, who is a spy for Britain. And they, they are very different in their approaches. There's, there's a lot of hot, hot, hot garbage dialogue between them where they're flirting and it's, it's very stupid. But they are very clearly different characters, same motivation maybe, but they don't know that. And they go about it in two different ways. Jinx, Jinx finds her target and then she shoots him and then the job's done. You know, James doesn't do that. Jinx has one approach to get into the secret lab that sucks out your bone marrow and puts in new bone marrow. Bond has a different approach. It's very interesting to see how these two characters with the same job go about completing their tasks. And then we get introduced to God, boy, Richard Branson apparently was the, the model for Gustav Graves. And uh, boy, what a yikes. We didn't we didn't know about Elon Musk at the time, but it is literally, literally Elon Musk. He's just he's he's a try hard billionaire and he wants to be loved and he has to be the best at everything. And he keeps doing these things that he thinks that, you know, he should be thanked for. And, and he wants to destroy the world, really, and rule it with an iron fist, things like that. He he also is quippy. Not quite the same way, but Mr. Kill is is also very similar in that he says things that you would expect him to say or do things that you would expect the villain henchman to do. No, I'm not going to just shoot the captured spy in the face. I'm going to use this mining laser. I'm going to use this mining laser that's going to take 20 minutes to yeah, get there. Yeah, it's got to warm up. Uh, yeah. it, moves, it moves very slowly. And then immediately, as soon as Bond shows up, it, it moves really quickly for whatever reason. Apparently it has a dance club setting, which yeah. was silly. But... Which you would think would be a cool scene. I don't know I don't know when Entrapment came out, that movie with uh Catherine Zeta Jones. That had the lasers, right? Right? Lasers. Catherine Zeta Jones. She dips beneath the lasers. Whoa. So I, I don't know if that was kind of the inspiration for that. It looks like it it should be a cool scene. Because they're fighting and there's lasers everywhere, but it's as you were saying about the CGI and this time capsule movie, which is it it wasn't quite good enough for us to believe that, oh my God, they're in danger from the lasers. The the part where Mr. Kill gets Mr. Dead in the end Mr. from the Kill laser, Dead. that oh that looks pretty good. But the rest of it just kind of looks like, okay, we drew some lasers in here. Yeah, I think the big issue is, and this is a problem with a lot of those movies, and it would become a problem for quite some time. I mentioned a movie that's great at it. There's Mad Max Fury Road. There's The Raid. There are films that are great at this. And that is understanding or showing the audience and making them understand everything's position in relation to itself. Mm. In other words... In scenes in Fury Road, you know where everyone and everything is in relation to where the camera is pointed. Mm. That is excellent action filmmaking. There's none of that in particular in the scene you mentioned. The lasers are just sort of going any which way. And at points, you don't know if they're actually headed toward or away from the camera. The fighters, the combatants, Mr. Kill and James Bond 
are bouncing around the area and we don't know where they are in relation to Jinx, who is also being moved around the area on another arm, similar to the one that the lasers are on the end of. It just all sort of blends together, which almost is a microcosm of this entire movie. It's also, it's just a weird scene. Like it's in there. It's, I think that's the beginning. It's either the first or the second instance of the weird slow-mo. The weird slow-mo. No, there's slow motion at the start too. Was there? Yes. Huh. Yeah, they like their random slow motion shots and that happens at odd times. Sometimes it'll just be somebody turning. And you'll get the almost Max Payne slash Matrixy jarring, and it's really poorly used. And it's 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 done for effect, and we know that the effect is supposed to be like, oh, this is dramatic tension. This is this is the anime scene where the villains he's so bad, and we know that because he's he's moving, his cloak is billowing in the wind. But like, it just looks silly. It's like the VR headset that they gave Graves when he can shoot lasers out of his out of his hands or whatever. It's it's just. It takes you out of it. Here's the most interesting thing for me. So the James Bond films for quite some time, I'll have to look it up again, but this was written by a writing team that had written a bunch of the previous James Bond films. No, I so think... they had written only the previous one. They had written I Die World Is Not Enough. Day. World Is Not Enough, yes. Then Die Another Day. And That's then, the yes, one. they got, went on to write each of the subsequent James Bond movies. Yeah, and that's what I found so interesting. Neil Purvis and Robert Wade are the people who who wrote this. What was it Die an, Die Another Day? I can't even like. I, it's so not memorable. Unless that was the one with Michelle Yeoh. But if I can't even tell which one was the one with Michelle Yeoh, no, then the world of non is not enough. Is the Christmas uh, Jones? Yes, yeah. and it is the film with a internet mogul as the villain. From, also from fairly Middle forgettable. East or something like that. Yeah, no, super, super forgettable. It should be noted, I almost so World is Not Enough that one. is not enough, is a 6.4 on IMDb. This, Die Another Day, is the lowest rated Bond at 6.1 on IMDb. I know we talk about this, this is more of a top three, bottom three thing, but the IMDb ratings, I would argue, were a little off. This is not a good movie because it commits the cardinal sin of being entirely forgettable. But there are, I would argue, worse Bond movies. I think View to a Kill is a much worse movie and is incredibly boring and forgettable. Just within... Christopher Walken. Just within the four Pierce Brosnan movies that were all contemporaneous to one another, this is not the worst movie. I almost made us watch the... whatever the one is, with Christmas Jones or whatever, but it's, it's so boring. I, I was like, no, I, I just, I don't want to watch that versus, you know, die another day. I could, I could, it's not going to, it's bubblegum for the mind, but I'm going to enjoy chewing it versus, you know, some of the other ones that are like, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't care. I don't want to spend two hours of my human life watching this, this thing with Denise Richards and, and a guy who cannot feel pain. IMDB ratings are, are interesting too, because when did this come out? 2002, right? So when did the other James Bond movies come out? They would have come out when internet reviews were not a thing, right? So did this movie get sort of unfairly lambasted because it came out in a time where we had something like IMDb? I mean, there's thousands of reviews for the old James Bond movies. No, I know, but they they wouldn't necessarily have been contemporaneous. That's why I find this movie also fascinating from 
a time capsule standpoint is it's this weird moment in time when the internet was just just coming in technology would look so different you know just a few years later and we're it's 2002 man i think we had just gotten our our like always on internet at that point it's it's wild it's wild and this movie very much kind of encapsulates a lot of things if you look under the surface of what people were like back then and the things that they believed and the things that they disbelieved and the things that they did with that belief or disbelief right i like that you're trying to essentially crank this up as some sort of cultural touchstone or something like that it kind of is it is not it is Uh, not worth watching let me let me let me put it that way i i disagree i think it's very much worth watching i am glad that i watched it and i'm glad that i watched it on a show as lovely as fine you pick because it made me really think critically about what i'm seeing about the language of film about what it's very interesting from a from a a teaching standpoint you know like it's there's lessons to be learned here there's there's interesting stuff for me and the kind of up nerd that is going to be interested in how our culture and our our ourselves as human beings are reflected in media and reflect media uh-huh your honor I'm going to say no. It is two hours and 13 minutes. It It is is, quite long. I would say at minimum 35 minutes too long. I think it's a lot more digestible if it were shorter, but it's got a runtime that's way too much. It wastes a number of good actors and actresses. It's got Mm -hmm. a good cast, but the writing just doesn't support anyone. Last point. Speaking of the writing... I mentioned before that this was written by two guys. So take all that criticism and so on and so forth that we now historically understand and like, yeah, this is not this is not like a it's not like a good movie, but it is a movie. Neil Purvis and Robert Wade wrote this movie. They also wrote the next Bond film, which is Casino Royale, which is fantastic. It's probably on a bunch of people's lists of like best Bond movies ever. It's it works as a film, too. It works as like just an action film. And it's just wild to me that there's there's really only a six year difference or so between when did Casino Royale come out? 2008? Casino Royale was 2006. It's only four years difference. 2006, so that even less. It's same guys. Their next movie was actually Johnny English, day. but anyway. Well, yes, but next next Bond film is is Casino Royale. Yeah, but and having that said that, one of so the best bomb films. The director has taken most of the hit in terms mm-hmm. of this film. That's mm-hmm. Lee Tamahori. And I will be blunt, both the director and these writers have a very up and down, mostly down ser- uh, career. Casino Royale represents the high point of the two writers you mentioned because mm-hmm. they're the same people that wrote this. They also did Quantum of Solace, which was not nearly as good as Casino Royale. Yeah. They also did Spectre, which is not nearly as good as Casino Royale. And Skyfall. Didn't they write Skyfall? Yes, they did. Yeah. So it's like... My point is they're all over the map, though. Yeah. Which I also find fascinating. And I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't looked into this film further, right? So for that, I am grateful to Die Another Day. And I think that it's those kinds of cool connections and i don't know to me it's why it's wild for me to learn stuff like that like i really enjoy making these kind of like connections in my brain of like that's so weird what must that have been like 
I guess, to, but the greatest connection. What were those four years like in between? I guess, but I've already map. told you about the greatest connection that's like that. And that is that the director of photography on Vanilla Ice is cool as ice would win an Oscar for his subsequent work on Schindler's List. Well, listen, a job well done is a job well done, you know? Lee Tamahori yeah. was the director. He would go on to do Triple X State of the Union next. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. again, sort of talking about very up and down careers, he's got some decent stuff there, mostly on television, directing individual ep episodes of shows. I wouldn't have these wonderful sort of questions and sort of things that I, I can chew on when I'm not watching this movie about what what Hollywood is, how these complex things are made. Things like video games and, and, and movies and the space station that take hundreds of thousands of human beings all working together to make something and just sort of how come this worked for this one? How come this didn't work for this other one? I, I find that fascinating. And for that, again, I am grateful to die another day. And that is why it is the best James Bond film that's ever been made. It will remain the best James Bond film that's ever been made. I don't think you could uh, best this one. It's got a flying laser. It has, it was I'm trying sure to warn us about Elon Musk. Um, ahead of time, Judy Dench is in it. John Cleese is in it. The he's star great. of Cats, Judy Dench, is in this there. film. We learned that Q stands for quartermaster, and that's why he's called Q. There's a car in it that disappears. There's a ring that just explodes a whole bunch of stuff. You get a whole bunch of flips. There's, there's I Halle thought he Berry was called Q because Oscar of that winner. mischievous fellow on Star Trek. The there's Next Oscar Generation. winner Halle Berry, and you get to see her come come out in a bikini. And then there's Rosamund Pike, and she's great. And I hope that she – I feel like she had a little bit of a career, but I, I don't feel like I've seen her in anything much. And then Johnny English had Gillian Anderson in it, and that was a great, great, terrible movie. I think Courtney Cox was also in it, and it's just all – it's all connected, man. It's all connected. So that's been it for this episode of Find You Pick. And it's all connected. hopefully I, ever. Remind me to kick I you went off the into, show. I went into Die Another Day and I came out a new guy. I had my brain bone marrow sucked out and new brain bone marrow put in. And I'm a new person now because I watched Die Another Day. Uh, to be fair, it did feel like my brain was sucked out while I was watching this for two hours and 13 it minutes. It was extremely tiresome getting through... Basically, once the laser is introduced to the end, it's like, okay, we're like, it's just cliche, cliche, cliche. It's kind of fun to watch, but like, I got up and put the dishes away. A couple of the car point, scenes think, were like... cool. <laughs> and a couple of the car scenes were cool. There's individual bits of action, but none of it really holds up. The sword fighting is not all that well done. We've seen better sword fights. Nobody yells, I have the high ground, by the way. I was very upset with that, but. The sword fighting is not great in terms of the action. It kind of drags. It's two different movies, and I, I yes. wish I knew how those how it came to be that way. Because I feel like if you can write Skyfall... And, I told like, you how it, it can be this way. You get a director that comes on fairly late, decides he wants certain things and certain scenes in his movie, and they can't find a way to put them in organically. I, I'm interested in those intricacies, right? Like how... How did he get to be a guy who could do that? When do the producers start stepping in, right? Because after, again, we're talking 2002, time capsule, right? We're, we have the Marvel Cinematic Universe coming up, and it's really the producers who are wielding a lot of the power versus the directors and things like that. So it's 
it's really an interesting turn of the century movie. And we are leaving who we were as a society in our entertainment, just wanting, you know, a bunch of car chases and pretty women and stuff like that. And we do want that still, but we want it in a different form. And it's it's fascinating to me. Sure. In any case, assuming I follow up this episode with the next one involving you, in which mm. case I will be choosing a film, let's assume it is that mm-hmm. film is going to be, frankly, one of the classics of cinema and one mm-hmm. of the best films ever made. We already so watched Die Another Day. We're doing one heck of a 180 here. But we already just watched the best film ever made. Yeah, not The man even has close. diamonds in his face, honey. And it's one you haven't seen somehow. In his face. I hope everybody listening well, to this movie? is having a good day. I'm not telling you. Well, I thought you were signing off. Well, no, we're well, just hinting. Well, but I had to hint at it last time yeah you're the one that said decided to say you're watching die another day well i thought you wanted i thought you wanted the trailer thing well what well you have to give me a better hint than that sorry so we you can find us at upnerdpodcasts at gmail.com feel free to email leave some feedback we're on facebook as upnerd we're on x slash twitter slash whatever if for some reason you, you have not podcasts. been able to divest yourself of that, up nerds on it. That'll do it. Hope everybody has a good rest of the week. And signing off. Bye. Bye.